Hey friends, welcome back to the Catwalk. My name is Clark Cowden. I am your host for this podcast, and I want to thank you for joining with me again for this week's message. Uh, this is the second of a three-part series on Romans chapter 8, where we're talking about the power of God, and today we're talking about the power of hope. Hope is something that we cannot live without. If we don't have any hope for the future, we will shrivel up and die. Our lives will be miserable and we will give up and we will not achieve the potential that God has given to us. Hope is something that's very, very important, but it's not something that we have to manufacture on our own. It's something that God gives us when we believe in his son, Jesus, and it's something that comes to us in abundance. Today, we look at some different aspects of hope, how God gives it to us, and what difference it makes in our lives. I invite you to sit back and relax and reflect with us on this message on the power of hope. In 1979, Norman Cousins was the editor-in-chief of the Saturday Review. He had been in that position for more than three decades. And at that point in his life, he was given just six months to live. Despite a one in 500 chance of recovery, he beat the odds by living another two decades. He revealed how he did it in his best-selling book, which is called Anatomy of an Illness. While the doctors administered medicine, Cousins decided to fight his illness with his attitude. He employed a simple strategy, laughter. Cousins told his friends to call him every time they heard or did something funny. He watched comedies and listened to stand-up comedians. He also pulled pranks on the hospital staff. He had one nurse who never smiled or laughed. In fact, she made him feel guilty every time he hit the call button. During one of her rounds, she handed him a specimen cup and asked for a sample. But instead of urinating in it, he poured his apple juice in the cup. When she came to collect the cup, she said, she looked at it and said, we're a little cloudy today, aren't we? He said, yep, I guess I better run it through again. He drank the liquid in the cup and finally made her laugh. After surviving his own ordeal, Norman Cousins started helping patients with chronic pain. Sessions began with each patient sharing something they were grateful for. During one of those round robins, Cousins shared this story. What I have to report is better than good. It's wonderful. It's better than wonderful. It's unbelievable. When I arrived at the Los Angeles airport last Wednesday, I went to the baggage claim and my luggage was the first one off the carousel. 
The group erupted in applause. Cousin said he had never met anyone who had their luggage come out first on the baggage carousel. So he phoned his office to share this amazing news. But this was back in the days of payphones, and he lost his quarter in the payphone. So he dialed zero and explained the problem to the operator. She said, sir, if you give me your name and address, we'll mail your quarter back to you. He told the operator that this explained why AT&T had so many issues at the time. She, the operator, would take the time to write the customer's name and address on a card, then pass it on to another employee who would go to the cash register, punch it open, grab a quarter, and make a record of the withdrawal. Then this worker would place the quarter in a special holder and put it in a special envelope made just for this purpose. They would use a 32 cent stamp to mail him back 25 cents. So he said, ma'am, why don't you just return my coin from this payphone and let's be friends. She repeated robotically, Sir, if you give me your name and address, we will mail you your refund. As he was listening to her, he decided to hit the coin return button one more time, and it worked. He got his quarter back. But not only that, a whole stream of quarters started coming out of the payphone like he had hit a Las Vegas jackpot. He cupped his hands, but he couldn't hold on to all the quarters that were coming out of the payphone. The operator heard all the noise and said, sir, what's happening? He said, it looks like the payphone has just given up all of its earnings for the last few months. There must be close to $40 worth of quarters here. The operator replied, sir, would you please put all of the coins back in the phone. He said, operator, if you give me your name and address, I will be glad to mail them back to you. The audience he told the story to broke out in laughter. So he asked them, how many of you noticed that in these last five minutes, your chronic pain receded or disappeared? Every hand went up in the air. Norman Cousins, who had been given six months to live, lived another 20 years because he had hope. He looked for the good things in life he was grateful for, and he laughed. He made a conscious decision that he would not let his depressing diagnosis take his hope away from him. He looked for hope every day. And what's interesting is that the more you look for hope, the more you find reasons to hope. We're taking three weeks here to look at what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8. And one of the things this chapter focuses on is hope. See if you can hear the hope of God in these words from Romans 8, 18 to 25, which says this. <clears throat> I consider 
that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This passage talks about three things. The hope of childbirth, the hope of adoption, and the hope that will save you. First of all is the hope of childbirth. In verses 18 to 22, Paul is talking about the present sufferings he is going through. He's kind of like Norman Cousins. Norman Cousins was sick and was only given six months to live, but he refused to let that terrible news get him down. Paul has the same attitude here. In verse 18, he says that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Much of how we respond to the sufferings in our lives is related to who we are comparing ourselves to. If we are sick and we are comparing ourselves to the most elite athletes in the world, we might feel pretty bad about ourselves. But if you go visit people in the hospital or the nursing home, you might come away feeling pretty grateful because you see people who are so much worse off than you are. Your health hasn't changed at all, but your perspective has. It all depends on who or what you are comparing yourself to. And Paul is saying, whatever suffering you are going through now, it is nothing compared to the glory of God that will be revealed to you in the future. In verse 22, he says that we know that all of creation has been groaning the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. What is it that helps mothers get through the pain of childbirth? I imagine it is the hope of the baby that is being born. You can get through a lot of pain if you know there is an end to it that is coming. You can get through a lot of pain if you know that something better is on its way. Childbirth can be very painful, but it can also be replaced with so much joy. 
And it is that hope of childbirth, the hope of that baby that's on the way that helps many people survive the pain they are going through. Secondly, this passage talks about the hope of adoption. Verse 23 says, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Sometimes we think, what hope does a little baby have? If its parents have died and they are not alive to care for her and raise her. Or we think, what hope is there for a baby when the parents don't want the baby and abandon him and walk away from him. But what if the best parent in the whole world, the greatest father in all of history came along and said, I want to adopt this baby. That would change everything. The whole situation would be completely reversed. All of a sudden we would have a lot of hope for that baby. We would think, wow, she's going to have a great life. He's going to get to grow up in the best family. She's really going to make something of herself now. He's really going to have some great opportunities. Paul is saying that what has happened for all, that is what has happened for all of us who believe in Jesus. When we believe in Christ, God becomes our heavenly father who adopts us into his family. God is the best parent ever. He has all the love you will ever need. He has all the resources you will ever need. He has all the wisdom and the hope and the truth you will ever need. When God adopts you, your supply of hope is endless. It will never run out, not in this life and not in the next. The third hope that is mentioned here in Romans chapter 8 is the hope that will save you. In verses 24 and 25, it says, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. The hope that he is talking about here is the hope of Christ. When you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, the present sufferings you are going through begin to pale in comparison with the glory that will be revealed in us. This glory is future tense. It will be revealed. Paul doesn't say it might be revealed. He doesn't say maybe if things work out, it will be revealed. No, Paul says it with absolute certainty. It will be revealed. It is the hope of Christ that helps you cope with your own pain and suffering because you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the greatest parent in all of history has adopted you into his family. The greatest father in the whole world looked into the nursery 
looked at all the babies and pointed at you. And God said, I want you. I love you. You are special. You are valuable. You is important. I want you in my family. And all you have to do is say yes. God, I want you to adopt me into your family. When that happens, everything changes. When that happens, we are filled with a hope for the present and a hope for the future that can sustain us for the rest of our lives. One person whose whole life was built on hope was a woman by the name of Helen Keller. Helen Keller wrote a book in 1903 called Optimism. Of all the people in the world to write a book on optimism, who would have thought Helen Keller would be the one to do that? Before the age of two, she lost her vision and her hearing. In an instant, her world went dark and silent. Then a godsend by the name of Annie Sullivan broke into her solitary confinement. Helen Keller became the first deaf and blind person to earn a bachelor's degree in college. She wrote a dozen books, including her philosophy of life that she called Optimism. In this book, she wrote these words. As sinners stand up in meeting and testify to the goodness of God, so one who is called afflicted may rise up in gladness of conviction and testify to the goodness of life. Once I knew the depth where no hope was, and darkness lay on the face of all things. Then love came and set my soul free. Once I knew only darkness and stillness. Now I know hope and joy. Once I fretted and beat myself against the wall that shut me in. Now I rejoice in the consciousness that I can think, act, and attain heaven. My life was without past or future. But a little word from the fingers of another fell into my hand that clutched at emptiness, and my heart leaped to the rapture of living. She wrote, no pessimist ever discovered the secrets of the stars or sailed to an uncharted land. Optimism is the harmony of man's spirit and the spirit of God pronouncing his works good. If the Spirit of God is within you, optimism is the order of the day. It's part of your spiritual DNA. Optimism isn't at odds with the reality that is all around us. Helen Keller had to deal with her deafness and blindness every day, and God didn't heal her of those conditions. In Romans 8, Paul is very honest about our present sufferings and how we and all of creation are groaning 
for the salvation and the redemption of God that is coming, but which is not yet here completely. Optimism is not a denial of the reality of the difficulty of the world. It just means that we are anchored to a deeper reality, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is deeper and longer and stronger than the reality we can perceive with our five senses. I typically take for granted that I can see and that I can hear. But even the most simple visual processes are amazingly complex. The retina in your eye alone conducts close to 10 billion calculations every second. And that's before an image even travels through the optic nerve to the visual cortex. As you read a book, millions of electrical impulses are firing across billions of synaptic pathways, and we don't even give it a second thought. And yet, as amazing as the human eye is, there is something even more amazing. It's the mind's eye that enables us to imagine the unthinkable and believe the impossible. That's what Helen Keller did. Nobody in her day believed she could do what she did, except for Annie Sullivan. All it took was just one person who believed in her. All she needed was just one person in her corner to challenge her, to discipline her, to confront her, to give her boundaries, to say no to her, and to believe in her. And when she got that sense of hope that she could do what nobody else thought she could, she did so much more than anyone could have imagined. Helen Keller once said, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight, but no vision. You might be like Helen Keller. Over the years, you may have lost your sight and your sense of hearing. The world may look like a bleak, gloomy place to you, and you can't imagine how things can get better. You might be like Norman Cousins and be told you only have six months to live. Or the temptation is just to quit and give up and resign yourself to a situation you think you cannot change. But the Bible is a story of hope. The power of God has more hope than we can begin to imagine. When we read what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8, we see all of these rich blessings that God has already given to us that we just need to accept and experience in our lives. Romans 8 tells us that when we believe in Jesus, we have the hope of childbirth, the hope of adoption, and the hope that will save you. God bless. 
Stay safe. See you soon.